0: Um, thank you, Cal. Fantastic. You're doing good. How good's aircon on a hot day? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Love me some aircon. I love it. Hey, look. So the last couple of weeks we've been tackling the topic of Jesus is better than you think, and we tackled week one that God is the God of covenant. If you give all, He gives all. If we withhold, we uh, we don't get to walk into the all that God has got um, for us. And the picture that we talked about. Was from um, Isaiah, where we are the uh, we are the clay and he is the potter. So if God is the potter and we are the clay, then I I don't get to be rebellious. When I say God, I am completely in your hands. I can trust him. I can trust his ways. I can trust his plans, and I know that even if it doesn't look good right now, if the ways that are happening around my life aren't brilliant. I can go, well, God, I can trust you because your ways are higher. I know that God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. Second week, we talked about, we went to the next level, uh, that this covenant-keeping God, this covenant-making God, the God that you can trust, the God that's going to be there, the God that loves no matter what, is the kind of God uh, that Daniel talks about. He says, you can know Him. So Daniel, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, he says, you can know Him. You don't just have to know of him. Sure, God's good, but you can know him. There can be a connection right there. And that can be difficult to get your head around a God that strong, that massive, that large, but yet wants to be intimate and connected. And the results of knowing him, Daniel says, you can know God. If you do, you can be strong and do great exploits. We want to be strong, right? there'll there'll be some tough things in life and you've got to be resilient. You've got to face those things. We're not going to make excuses and and skirt around them. What we're going to do is we're going to tackle and become better with that uh, through those things. We're going to be strong and do great exploits. The avenue to that is by knowing God. Uh, And that's one of our key things. You'll see Um, Occasionally, up on the screen, it would have happened already tonight where it would have been a screen that said, This is really simple of what we're all about. We want people to know God. We want people to find freedom. We want people to discover purpose. We want people to make a difference. And uh, so it it starts with knowing God all the way through these steps to be able to make a difference in Jesus' name. And like it's, there's two great days in a person's life, and that's one of those is when you're born, and the second is when you realize why. And that's not just to take up space and to breathe in oxygen and pump out carbon dioxide like that's good for the plants. But, um, but what you are here for is to make a difference in Jesus' name. But you'll do it differently than the person beside you because God is unique and you're unique. He loves you uniquely. And so if we want to be, be strong and do great exploits, it means that we want to know God. And so we've got a goal across every Good Life Church, and there's five of them now, that we would see 500 people over the next 12 months that would say yes to knowing God for the first time, making a commitment to Jesus Christ, having Him forgive their sins and saying yes to Jesus, you can know God. But not just to know God that you would take that first step in Jesus, but know God because it leads to being strong and doing Great exploits. And we don't just want people to take their first step, but we're believing for 500 people to take their next step as well. We're not just believing God for people to say yes to Jesus and leave it there, but to say yes for Jesus and continue on with that. There is strength for you when you say, God, you're the potter. There is great exploits for you when you say, God, you're the potter and I am the clay. Last week, Pastor Alan Ward preached an amazing message. I think he's the youngest old guy I know. A guy who's looking for every opportunity to serve, to love, and to pray. And uh, Pastor Alan and Ronda have got a long, uh, a long history of being pastors and leaders and preachers. But yet in the probably slightly more than 12 months since they've been a part of the members of our church, that'd be the first time I've asked him to preach. But yet every single week, he's looking for an opportunity. Pastor Rhonda, are you looking for an opportunity to minister, to love, to pray, to help, to encourage anyone? I said to him, I said to him during the middle of the year, I said, I've got eight weeks. I need you to help me out in this campus of Good Life Church, can I send you? They said, Yes, we're in. I thought, that's brilliant. Did they get to preach once? Not at all. And so it's not about whether you've got a microphone in front of your big mouth like me. It's about whether God gives you an opportunity because there's someone around you that you could love, that you could serve. And I love that the Pastor Al talked about that Jesus is better than you think and then showed how it works through the life of a believer. Um, So that picture for me looks like that if Jesus is better than you think, it looks like an adventure in Jesus. It looks like a life of adventure. It looks like that everything else is a counterfeit. It looks like that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to God and what He's got for your life than through Jesus. And so this is an interesting conundrum because there'll be certain people that go, What? This life with Jesus is an adventure? I'm in! Let's go for it. And other people that go, an adventure? No, I want a holiday instead. Oh, I'm not looking for an adventure. I'm not looking for another thing in my life. I'm just looking for a rest. Are you kidding me? I'm working hard. I'm juggling all these things in my life. I'm a 19-year-old part-time barista. Don't you know that things can be difficult? So a life of adventure might be the kind of thing where you go, yes, I'm excited. Or sometimes you might go, I don't know ex- I don't know how excited I am. I put this notion to my sons this week. Uh, one of the adventures in my life right now is supervising a 16-year-old trying to get his pea plates within the next couple of months. And we've got a lot of hours to get done. So we started the school holidays with him at... 10 hours of my supervision helping with the driving. We're currently at 91. It's been a big holiday. It's been a big school holidays, right? We're working hard. I'm like, Dad's got opportunities. Let's go for it. Your mama doesn't like this job. This is mine. So we're driving somewhere at the back sticks of, in behind Mount Sugarloaf, heading towards Curry Curry, with all the cool places to go to. And so I've got, the, I've got Josh and Joel in the back, Sam driving. And I said, boys, what do you think I should preach on Sunday? Now, i throw that at some. Sometimes I just throw that at people. What do you reckon I should preach this week? And it's amazing how many people are like, huh? Like, you don't know what you're preaching on Sunday? Isn't it a bit late to kind of get that together? And if someone says that, if someone assumes I'm not joking, if someone actually thinks I'm serious, I'm like, oh, we are going there. We're going to have some fun at your expense. You know, I've got no idea. What do you reckon? I've been preaching for like 22 years about the Bible, like, I think I've done everything. I don't know what to do now. What do you reckon I should do? But the boys know that I'm just joking. They're like, "Ah, Dad, what do you want to preach? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. What are you preaching? Well, we're doing the series, Jesus is Better Than You Think. You're doing week four of it, Dad. What do you want to do? And I'm like, no jokes on you kids, because I've joked with them one too many times. They can pick me. They can read me like a children's book, in the words of the great prophet, Conor McGregor. So I asked the boys what to preach, and they said, Well, what do you want to do? And I said, Well, is Jesus better than you think? They said, What's the real, what's the real, what's the meat of that? What are we trying to get to? And I said, Well, look, here's the deal. You could put it down to three, like three dot points, really, really simple. Jesus is Lord. If you let Him, that'd be brilliant. There's no other way. Everything else is counterfeit at best. So they're like, All right, so. The pragmatic one in the car, Sam, said, why don't you just say that? And I said, well, the message will be done in three minutes. He said, what's wrong with that? (laughs) I said, shut up with the cheek. (laughs) I know you own the car, but you'll walk from here, buddy. No, I said, you can't just kind of say that kind of stuff. Well, why not? I said, because some people will go, all right, the pastor said I've got to make Jesus my Lord. Jesus, will you be my Lord? But not know all of the bits and bobs about actually what that looks like. Because if I was to say, Jesus, you are the potter and I am the clay, it's a complete submission to him. It's a complete trust into his hands. And when his hands stick me on a wheel that spins really quickly and I don't like it, will I still say, Jesus, yeah, you're my Lord? Did I trust your ways even though I'm spinning really hard right now and then there's pressure on me? What about I have to go into the fire in the kiln? What if I'm on the shelf? Jesus, you were meant to use me. I love it when people say, God, use me. And then they get used. And then the response is, oh, I can't believe it. The church used me. Like, oh, wasn't that your prayer? Wasn't that the whole point? Jesus, use me. I got used. Okay. Love it. Good answer. But you can't just kind of say, yes without knowing that saying yes to Jesus is a yes to his ways, not just his great plans, you can trust him. But then there's other issues with that as well. What if you were to say, what if you were kind of like me? Because if someone says you've got to do something, I'm like, you reckon I've got to? Watch me sit back, tell me what to do. It's just not on. You can't just kind of say, make Jesus your Lord. Get stuffed, mate. Well, that would be my response. You can't tell me that kind of stuff. Well, here's the other option. You say yes, and say yes, but just in the parts that are convenient within our lives. Because if I'm saying, yes, Jesus, you are Lord, this includes everything. This includes my hopes and dreams, my future, the handling of my finances, the confession of my mouth, let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of my heart be acceptable. This is all-encompassing. If I'm going to say, Jesus, you are my Lord, I'm walking into something remarkable, but it actually takes me not just saying it, but then actually submitting 100% to Jesus. If you can trust Him, that's okay. But if you've got an issue with trust, will God come through? Luke Scott's getting on a plane in 15 days to go over to New Zealand and help plant a church. Will God come through for you, Scotty? I hope so. What we do know is that in Auckland, there's lots of rain, so there'll be lots of lawns to mow. You'll be fine. You'll be right. But you're like, really? Is that how it works? I'm gonna, am I going to trust God's plans for me? That when Luke goes, you know what? I kind of felt like God say, yes, go. And then I've got all these doubts and I've got all these reasons why not and why it would be more convenient if I didn't. But am I going to trust his plans for my life and then take the next step and go, I'm going to trust his ways as well. Can I actually say, Jesus, you are my Lord. It's a great, amazing adventure where you walk into the greatness of God, where your life will be bigger and the world will be better, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to. And so this whole thought of an adventure is not just trying to navigate while a 16-year-old is trying to get his L-plate hours. If I make Jesus my Lord, then it's a whole big thing. And so I said, what do you reckon, boys? How do, how do I pitch this? And Sam goes straight out of the gate. I'm like, great, Sam's on it. He's a pretty wise kid. And he said, what about that scripture where it says, if you ask your father for a fish, will he give you a stone? I thought, you keep talking? What do you mean? He also says, if you ask for bread, will he give you a snake? Your dad will give you the best if you just trust him and ask him. Well, that's pretty clever. And then Joel pipes up. And Joel says, whatever you, isn't it, dad, that whatever you give to the father will be exponentially multiplied? that's really clever for two thoughts a he kind of gets how god works but second like b he used big words to explain it so i had to say joel can you teach me what that word means no i didn't say that at all but then josh usually not the first to pipe up makes his explanation and his explanation brought me to tears now not in front of him because i'm a tough dad i cried later Because Josh's answer made me cry. It was all about life change and especially what he'd seen in my life. Now, I was a Christian way before my children were born. But they know my story of where I came from and they know the hard work there's been to not be a deadbeat, which was where my life was going. It's interesting, this adventure of walking with Jesus brings things that you'd never think would come your way the life of peter in the in the new testament he's a one of the disciples one of the apostles that walked with jesus he was one of these guys that said yes to jesus and all the way through from his first interaction encounter with jesus all the way through to his death he lived a life that said jesus is lord yes i want it there's no other life that'd be brilliant And here's a guy who went through difficulties. Here's a guy who also had really big glaring issues and problems and weak points and stupid reactions. So I can kind of relate to Peter because I'm like, you know what? I'm yes to Jesus all in, but sometimes I've got some weak points that I just can't hide. And sometimes I've got some reactions that are just stupid. Or am I the only person that... Okay, thank you for that support. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, we find out Jesus' first interaction with Peter was when his name was Simon. We'll talk about his name change later on down the track, but chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, later to be called Peter, and his brother Andrew, they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Odd statement, but yet their response was one not of convenience, but of inconvenience. At once, they left their nets and followed Him. For me to give up my fishing gear a couple of years ago was actually quite easy because it was a a hobby and not my vocation. We actually saw when we went into business a couple of years ago, a side business, we do luxury portable bathrooms for weddings and all kinds of stuff. I nearly got the gig to be at the Cold Chisel concert at Wollongong on Saturday night. Last night, I could have been in Wollongong listening to Chisel. Uh, Anyway, but we didn't get the gig. So close. And so, but we went into business and I'm like, we're not going into debt to go into business. And so we had all of our savings, but there was a gap. And so we went, right, what can we sell? Beck was selling everything. Like she went into the garage and goes, look at all these toys you own. I'm like, stand back, get behind me, Satan. And I went, look, everything is an option, but just not, I just need to have one surfboard. Just one surfboard. Which one do you want? And I said, the most expensive one. She goes, all right, you deserve it. I said, yeah, I do. But everything got sold it was all going on gumtree i thought the kids were going to be up for next like i thought you know what we're going to get this business and have less kids to feed that's probably a better financial option (laughs) but we came to selling my spearfishing gear stuff that was actually quite expensive big long flippers that are hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth and we sold them on gumtree for a fraction of the price And it wasn't that much of a big deal because it was a hobby. But Jesus goes, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. These boys' response was immediate. This was their vocation. This was their hope, their future. This was the way of taking care of their family. And Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they immediately at once left the nets and followed him. It's interesting when Jesus calls, our response is quite massive in the whole picture. If your priorities align to Jesus, you go from fixing your priorities, then to into the purposes of God. And if you'll go with the purpose of God, because if you align your priorities, then there's the power of God available for you in all of those priorities and all of that purpose that God has got for your life. But if I right back here don't align my priorities with his priorities, I'll get to a point where I need his power. And all of a sudden, I'm so distant from it because I didn't align my priorities. I didn't walk into his purposes and his plan. And I'm lacking in the power that I very much need. You will need it because life happens. Peter made a decision. I'm going to reprioritize. I'm going to make my priorities align with God's purpose. And therefore, he was able to walk into God's power. Now, you look at God's power working through him. That happened a lot of different ways, but it's a great example in Matthew chapter 14. And it's where Jesus was like, you guys go on the other side of the lake. I'm gonna go up on the hill to pray. And in the middle of the night, he's like, I'm done praying. I'm gonna go and find the boys. And he's walking across the water. Cool party trick. And all the guys are like, what? It's crazy. There's a ghost. And so Jesus like, no, I'm not a ghost. The guys go, so Peter goes, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. And Jesus goes, come. And I think, Peter, you haven't thought, what about if it's a lying spirit? Because if it's a lying spirit, you're in big trouble, mate, because we know you can't swim, especially in the middle of the night. No one can pick you up. There'll be the shrieking eels from Princess Bride coming and get you. And so you've got this situation where he says, come, and Peter goes, okay, Amazing how much obedience gets you now to need the power of God and He meets you on the other side of your obedience. The power of God is always on the other side of inconvenience and always on the other side of obedience. But if I won't be inconvenienced, if I won't be obedient, I won't walk now into His power. So Jesus says, come, and He starts to walk on the water. It's amazing. When you set your priorities right with God and then walk into His purpose and then I walk into His power, how many times I think, how good am I with these steps that I'm taking? How brilliant am I? It was interesting because Josh's comment about me was a little bit about where I came from and where I am now. And I'm not planning on staying where I am right now. I'm continuing to take further steps. But how easy is it for me to go... You know what, there's no way I'd be a decent husband or father without Jesus in my life and about the Christians that have actually shown me the wisdom out of the Bible and kicked my butt when it was required. And I get to this point and go, hmm, I'm a pretty good uh, husband. Man of God, I just sent my wife on a week-long cruise through the South Pacific when she uh, came off the plane yesterday. Four Connett men standing at the airport in suits with signs. Rebecca Connett, your chauffeur awaits. She got home. There was a lamb roast dinner. The house was cleaned. I don't know if you've ever lived with teenage boys. There's a miracle right there. I got so many husband points. Here's the problem with husband points. They reset every day. So I'm back at zero. (laughs) Just try and earn some husband points. But how many times I get to the point, I'm like, how good am I? And then forget how far I've come and then it wasn't me that gave me the step. It wasn't me that gave me the strength. It wasn't me. That, it wasn't my wisdom. It was the wisdom from the Word of God. It was, I said yes to Jesus, you are Lord. But then every step from that point has been a trust in Him. And He's been the one that's upheld every one of my steps. And Peter gets out on the water and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, check this is a quite a big storm around. How many times we're taking steps in God and all of a sudden there's a storm. God, can I trust you? Do you have my best interests at heart? God, am I going to do it your way? I'm going to choose my way. And at that point, you'll find out Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and onto the storm. And all of a sudden, he starts to sink. And his response is, Lord, save me. First word, Lord, save me. I found I'm in situations where either I've stepped out in. And here's the deal. Peter's the one who's gotten out of the boat. The other pansies are in the boat. How many times have I taken great steps to do what God's called me to do and I end up feeling like I'm sinking? Very happy that I'm able to put my eyes back on Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Jesus picks him up. I would have said, mate, you idiot. You should have kept your eyes on me. But Jesus grabs him by the hand and lifts him up and then starts to talk about his faith. Then together, hand in hand, they walk back to the boat. If I was Jesus, I wouldn't have lifted him completely out of the water. I probably just dragged him a bit. And then as I got back into the boat, I would have kind of banged him up the side a little bit. Idiot, mate. Keep your eyes on me next time. That'll learn you. Maybe not. Maybe just thought that would be fun to say. But because Peter has already made the decision, you're my Lord, even when he's taken a great step with God, and it doesn't seem like it's working out. You ever been in those situations? I'm trying, God. I'm doing my best. Even in the middle of that, Lord, save me. And he's right there. We get to this situation in Matthew chapter 16 and now you've got Jesus asking the guys, who do men say I am? And Jesus is not actually having an insecurity problem right now. Matthew chapter 16 is on that page of my Bible. Verse 13 through 20, Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They reply, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say I am? Who's the first person to open his mouth? You guessed it. Simon Peter. He answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, AKA, you are Lord. There's no one like you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to the Father. Every other life is a counterfeit at best. You are everything. I trust you. You are the potter, and I am the clay. He declares with his confession the lordship of Jesus, and then you watch what happens next. Because his confession was about the lordship of Jesus, he now gets to walk into the possession of that relationship, the power of God that comes because of it. His confession lined himself up for the possession of what God had for his life. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. This is a revelation that's come from heaven, mate. This has come from my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. So there's a name change right there. And on this rock, I will build my church. Not on the rock of Peter himself, but on the revelation that he had of Jesus' lordship. Remember, Jesus is Lord. If you let him, that'd be brilliant. On that rock, I can build something that will be so influential, that'll literally turn the world upside down would be the answer to slavery. That would be the answer to every problem. That would be the answer to suicide and depression. That would be the answer to every bad problem. The devil wants to come and rob, kill and destroy. Here's the deal. If you can live on that revelation that Jesus is Lord, if you let him, that would be brilliant. I say, yes, Jesus, you're my Lord. And I let you into every area of my life. It's the best life ever. It is available. And with Peter's confession, he leads to a possession of all the good and all the power that God has got for his life. Contrast that brilliant day when Jesus says, all right, you're the man, Petey. No one better than you. You got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You're the guy that walked on the water. Pretty good, aren't you? I like you. I would have written in my diary those words exactly. I've written home, mum would have texted, would have gone straight to Instagram. Jesus thinks I'm the man. Selfies with Jesus. Would have been happening for sure, you know it. Contrast that with the day that Jesus is getting crucified, and the Roman soldiers trying to find out which one's Jesus, and they take along a disciple who betrayed by the name of Judas, who comes and kisses Jesus on the cheek. They kept it PG. And then they're like, right, let's get him. And the Roman soldiers come to get Jesus. And what does Peter do? He whips out his sword and he goes to chop off the guy's head. But he's not even good at that. He only gets his ear. It's kind of a Vincent Van Gogh moment right there. But off comes the ear. Jesus like, Peter, what are you doing? Picks up the ear off the ground. (laughs) 10 second rule, slaps it back on his head. (laughs) Blows off the dirt. On it goes. What are you doing, mate? I reckon it's, it's, it was interesting because I kind of go, you know he was trying to cut the guy's head off because he kind of got close, which is like how AFL has played. AFL, you know AFL? Now, if you're not quite sure of AFL, it's an Aussie sport. It is Australia Day. It's, it's the, it robs our nation of athletes that can represent our country in sports that actually matter. It's the kind of sport where you need to actually borrow your little brother's shorts to play. But it's such an encouraging game. Such an encouraging game because they kind of go. Because if you said, How do you play AFL? Well, you kick it through the big sticks over there. What are the little ones on the side? Well, if you get close, well, we're pretty sure we knew what you're up to. (laughs) We'll give you one point. It's like the encouragement award in sports day. (laughs) Keep trying. We're encouraging you because you need it. Peter goes to cut off his ear. You can have the greatest days where you get the keys to the kingdom of heaven but yet have fleshly reactions. Anger, pride, fear, backbiting, gossip. You could have a reaction when you're doing brilliantly, but yet go home and be clicking on the porn and feel absolutely dirty. And the devil will want to tell you that you're a hypocrite for coming to church. When coming to church would be the right thing. I would say avoid the wrong thing. The devil's not going to tell you to stop doing the wrong thing because he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. You're not a hypocrite for doing the right thing. It might be time to actually realize I've got to make Jesus Lord of that area of my life because I've led him into every other area. But you could be on the mountaintop and then you could make some really bad decisions, a fleshly reaction, and Jesus going, all right, well, let's deal with that. That same night, Peter denied Christ three times, even once to a little girl. Not so tough now, are you, Mr. Keys to the kingdom of heaven? And then you read in John chapter 21 that Jesus actually restores him. Now, Peter's restoration was required not just because he cut the guy's ear off and he denied Christ three times, but then he went backsliding. How do I know he went backsliding? Because you read in John chapter 21 and he's gone fishing. Is fishing technically backsliding? I would like to say yes. But really, that's a long shot. But for Peter, it was, because before he was following Jesus, what was he up to? What was his life all about? And so when he goes, this Jesus thing is done, what does he go back to? Fishing. And who's going fishing with him? All of the disciples are with him. He's not just backsliding on his own. He's taking the boys for the ride. Like, how could you be that dumb and still breathe? Peter, what are you doing? But yet he's doing that. And so we can read from John chapter 21, as I find it in my Bible, and come up on the big novelty Bible behind me right here, but you'll find out that Jesus rocks up right there because Jesus is ready to restore this guy because God's got big plans for him. And even though you've made mistakes, Pete, I'm here for you. Even though you've made mistakes, you can still get restored in Jesus' name and actually build a great life. And so what does Jesus do? He rocks up to the same place that Peter is fishing with all of the boys, and they're out in the boat and they're been struggling, it's not working. But first 4 of chapter 21 of the book of John, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. When the disciple whom Jesus loved, a.k.a. John, the guy riding it, who was really humble, evidently, <laughs> said to Peter... It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off. Some translations will let you know that when it said he'd taken his outer garment off, that he was wearing nothing underneath, which really means this was quite a backslidden fishing trip. But in this case, it just said an outer garment. So you're probably assuming there's inner garments. But some scholars would like to argue with you on that one. I think it's quite weird, personally. But Peter says, "I'm not going to go and see the saviour in this. I'm going to get wrapped up." So he gets his outer garment on. He just launches into the water. It is the Lord. So he just goes for it. Why? Because he's so excited. Because as much as he's made mistakes, as much as he's had weakness, as much as he's had reactions, as much as he's done the wrong thing, Jesus has come back again. And that is the opportunity for every person that says, Lord, you are my Lord. I might have stuffed up, but you are my Lord. You're here for me. I can't escape you. He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. And so Jesus comes to restore him by rocking up on the boat. And could you imagine Peter trying to swim with his big heavy outer garment? And the boy's going, you idiot. Just get on the oars and just go right past him off to shore. He's like, what did I do jumping into the water? But he made it anyway. He made it to the shore. Imagine his reaction. Could you imagine his, his thankfulness? His appreciation of a God who didn't stay distant, but came and got involved. Jesus said, bring me some fish. Peter goes, oh, I'll do it. It's amazing when you realize that Jesus Lord, that if he says it, obedience is the best option. It might be inconvenient. Oh, but I'm wet and cold, mate. Do we need the fish? Jesus said, can I get some fish? He goes, yeah, I'll do it. Didn't, didn't have to ask twice. I need you to jump. How high was Peter's response? Because you're Lord and I'm not. What does he do? Verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Because true freedom, because true restoration happens in real relationship and in real community. So when Pastor Cal Gibbs stands up later on tonight and he says, You know what? We've got mocktails if you want to join a connect group who wants mocktails starts to dance starts to sing it's Australia day he's probably going to shake a leg for us maybe we could ask could you do it for us that'd be fun we'll get a good praise song and you can shake anyway because he's like who wants to go to a connect group why because Cal wants you to understand understand the same freedom the same restoration that Peter found on that beach today is available for every single person. And it doesn't always just happen through a church service. It means that when we help each other and support each other to do that in real life, by actually being a part of community. Jesus said, give me fish. Why? Because oftentimes it takes a meal to actually let the guards down. We're starting a whole church in Auckland, in a house. We're doing so many meals. Why? Why? Because we're trying to build a team that would realize if I'm free, then I can take freedom to Auckland. Why do we do connect groups? It's because it's around a meal that we can be authentic. You've got to pull the guards down. You can come to church with your Hosanna face on. Praise the Lord. The angels are with me all week. We're praising and worshiping up and down the ladders up to heaven. You can put the face on, but you can't do that in real community. So sometimes we avoid it because I don't want that sometimes we don't want that because we're scared of letting the guard down because we've been hurt before sometimes we're not listening to someone else sometimes we're doing all the talking and not actually getting interested in someone else because wouldn't it be brilliant if Jesus being Lord in our lives wasn't just about us getting free but being a part of someone else's freedom so that day Peter gets free but all the other disciples are around there's the friendship, they're having a meal they're eating fish it's why we do communion in connect groups and not so much on Sundays. In the end of it, Peter was actually killed for his faith. Peter launches, is part of the leadership, of, actually leads, he's the pastor of the brand new church. There's a move of God, there's crazy stuff happening in Jerusalem. And then the church spreads right across the world and he is the leader of the lot. A guy that was broken, a guy that had mistakes, a guy that made big mistakes, a guy that actually denied Jesus publicly. And God goes, we can restore a guy like that because behind every up and down is a guy who says, my heart says, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're Lord. Yes, I want it. That's the best life ever. Jesus said, I can work with that. I can change your school, your university, your workplace, your home with someone who says, Jesus, you are Lord. I really want that. It's the best life ever. This whole deal about Peter, realised doing it in community, takes me back to the third explanation that I got from my son. Josh, not the first one to pipe up. Hey, buddy. Not usually. But he said these words. If you want to pitch to everyone that Jesus, Lord if you let him and that'd be awesome he said point out all the bad things you did as a kid and I thought that's going to take a while and then tell people that you gave it up and it made you into the man you are today and at that point I realised that Jesus being Lord Jesus being better than I think it's got a little bit to do with me but a lot to do with all the people that are watching and in that car there were three young men Who get the life of growing up with this guy? My strengths, with my weaknesses, with my past behind me and the cross before me. It's a little bit about me, but it's a lot about those people that are watching on, and the people that are watching on your life to see if the Christianity works. Are seeing in the middle of the tough time what happens? Is Jesus still your Lord when life sucks? I don't know personally, I don't know how people get through grief moments without Jesus. Speaking with an old mentor of mine today that over the last month had to put his wife of 48 years into a home because of Alzheimer's and it broke his heart. And I called up to ask two things. How are you going financially and how are you going in your heart? And he said, David, it's difficult. And he said, but Jesus has always been on the throne. He's always taken care of us. So I can't imagine him stopping now. Is Jesus my Lord when things are difficult and it looks terrible? Because currently I'm looking at a man going, I am so inspired. I'm so inspired to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I'm going to let you into every arena of my life. Into my mind, into my thoughts, into my heart, into my desires for my future, into my love for my kids and for my wife, into my finances and the way that I handle that and manage that into the way that I interact and contribute within church, with the words that come out of my mouth, are they negative and snarky? Are they cynical? Are they I build people up? I need to say, Jesus, are you my Lord? Because that's the best life. And I don't want to just have Jesus Lord of portions of my life, but say, Jesus, I'm going to give you all of my life because people are watching all of my reactions. And I want Jesus in all of my life because it's the best thing ever and it's not always easy. But for my kids, I want to be able to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I might be weak and I might make mistakes and I might have my own fleshly reactions. But at every point, if I can say, Jesus, you're my Lord, restore me. And God does something brilliant in my life and the world gets better through my life. It doesn't happen because I try harder. It happens because I Surrender more. Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. That's what Jesus did. Straight after betrayal. Sorry, just before betrayal. Not my will, but yours be done. And Because Jesus did that, it was brilliant for Him. It was a tough couple of days though. What an awesome, awesome victory for the rest of life. Not my will, but yours be done. Might mean you face some tough things but it'll mean so much better for you in the long run and for everyone watching your faith in Christianity.